Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Guy, Nick Mason, sourceful of secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Controls Tour. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then right. I did come up with uh, Nick Mason's source of secrets. You did. And in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's U-boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. It goes up to 1972, all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never mm. heard, stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you and, know, uh, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. <laughs> was he, was he, um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. Right, hello Gary. <laughs> hello Guy. <laughs> Have we ever said goodbye? <laughs> uh, no. I, I, I'm wondering, was that the sort of hysterical laughter of despair? Yeah. How long? I mean, this t- the tour's been nearly 12 weeks now, hasn't it? So it's very good. Nearly 12 weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. But we're near the end. Although you mustn't start. You mustn't think like that. No, you mustn't. Because that's no. effective. Yeah, we're still on yeah. top four. Um, yeah. You know, the gigs are getting better. The shows are fantastic. It's, you know, there's a... There's no, the gigs have always been perfect. They've always been perfect. Don't say that. Because then people who saw it in the beginning think, well, hang on a minute. What did I see? Oh, that's true. But that is true. But but you and I know that the little things that really, yes, you know, grow as a tour goes on are are getting stronger. Um, that's true. I, we are in Barcelona today. Um, we after a long drive down from Germany, where we've spent a thousand most, miles, about a thousand miles, we drove. Yeah, where we spent the last last week, um, and now we're in the, the very hot. Span, Spanish uh, city of Barcelona and, and it's yeah. going to be Madrid coming up in a couple of days uh, Portugal and then back home and then home yeah so there it is but today today we have a fantastic I mean incredibly God if you, if you want to feel like you've been lazy in your life just look at this guy's career um, um, yeah amazing polymath and sort of everything really polymath was the word I was after because Nitin Sawney is, is just good at everything isn't he I mean he's He's, he's a CBE. Uh, he's won 20 international awards, an Ivan Novello Lifetime Achievement Award. He, he makes his own solo albums, which are incredible eclectic mix of different world music. I know he doesn't like that term, world music, but, but music from different cultures combining together in a sort of electronica, really, at, at times. And um, and he works in theatre. Well, also, dance. But, but then everything from like classical to Indian classical, everything. But yeah, then as. as innumerable film and TV scores as well and even music for games and a lot of teaching and a lot of being artist in residence at places curator curator what on earth is he doing talking to us well let's find <laughs> yeah 
It probably would last longer. Than <laughs> but, but let me just say, let me just. Oh, he's also my bat. He was my bandmate very briefly. Yeah, played in Pink Floyd. Uh, played in Pink Floyd. Yeah, just the, in... it's funny because it's the only time I've ever been. I've ever been sort of noted as a member of Pink Floyd. So he's actually been in Pink Floyd for as long as I have. For, for, the, for the new single, which was for Ukraine. But also he's worked with Paul McCartney. He's worked with Sting, Jeff Beck, uh, Annie Lennox and Nelson Mandela. He's got some great stories. Let's get him on. Welcome to The Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. Thank you guys for still being around, still making music, still being into it and doing this podcast. It, it's uh, it's fabulous. So great to talk to two guys that have done this. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. Too, too get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Knitting. Knitting. How are you doing? You right? Are we going to see you? Oh, hang, you were in the second. I look like this. <laughs> ah. Oh, is that your okay. studio? It is indeed. That's uh, Harry, who engineers with me every day as well. Yeah, we're we're in Brixton at the dairy. So nice. Oh, yeah, we're, yeah. So we're, I've been here about fifteen years now, fourteen years or something now. Quite a long time. So the dairy. What is it? So I'm presuming that's a converted dairy. Uh, I think so. I mean, it's, uh, it was. Well, I presume so as well. I've never really checked, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it's been in here for a long time as a studio. Lots of Guy Garvey from Elbows next door. And, oh right. Yeah, there's quite a lot of. Um, there's a few. Oh, can you tell him there. we want to talk to him? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, 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 for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's a good mate as well. He's he's a lovely guy. He's a so, lovely guy, yeah, guy, yeah, guy. Indeed. We're in Barcelona. We're still on tour. We've oh, been cool. on tour for a long time. <laughs> See, yeah, so. I've been, I've been, lo- I've been watching you. You, you know, on, on Instagram, you look like you're having a ball. Actually, it looks really good. We yeah. are, but it, it's it's hard and it's it's long. You know, right, in right. this um, in this offshoot of our band, Knitting, obviously, because right. you and I are bandmates. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So you, you, you know, you know what it's like, Knitting, when you're away from home. It uh, it mm. can be a little bit uh, tiring, but, but but we fortunately all get on. There's none of that band rift or or separate camps or any of that. There's a real family spirit here, and we're all of that's like mine. So important. Yeah, yeah, that's very important. I mean, I I realized that many years ago that it's it's. I mean, in terms of touring. Uh, you know, I mean, hopefully you get the best musicians as well. But I mean, it's really important that you all get on and that you gel as 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 a group, as a as a group of people, and that you have empathy with each other and um, and know know how to how to be around each other. You know, and it's it's uh, it's a, always a, a journey. But I mean, uh, recently with the, with the band I've uh, I've been touring with this year, it's just been an absolute joy. We've we just really all get on and uh, have a lot of fun together, which is great. Who's in Who's but, in the and band? You tend to have your musicians. Yeah, who's because <laughs> your musicians tend to be all from very different backgrounds, don't they? Which yeah, is fantastic. Which, yeah, which I really like. I mean, it's um, but I've and and I've had quite a few incarnations over the years but I've um, I've stayed with certain people I mean like Arif Dervish has uh, been playing tabla with me for 30 odd years now in fact I saw him wow. yesterday evening as well he came over to um, to my place and uh, we had a drink together but yeah it, you know it's 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 really nice I mean all of the musicians have always been um, very have been amazing uh, I mean I've been blessed with incredible players but also really good human beings who who I think um, are, are on the same page as me in terms of 
our our ways of looking at the world. Yeah, I mean, one, while we're on this subject, because the, the ones who really stand out for me, I mean, I, I, Ashwin's, uh, please pronounce it, Srinivasan, right? Srinivasan, yeah, yeah, you know, Srinivasan. Beautiful, yeah. yeah, sorry, beautiful That's Indian flute. But, but Nikki Wells, incredible yeah. vocalist. Yeah. Who can, who can mix all different cultures into her voice. I mean, that's what's yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been so many great musicians. I mean, Ashwin, I met him, uh, I think uh, it was in 2002 or something. I was working on a film score um, in India and I met him then and uh, thought, oh my God, this guy is extraordinary. But he's also, he's a brilliant singer. He's a brilliant uh, flautist. I mean, it's a, he plays the Bansuri, which is a, a bamboo version ah. of the flute. And um, But the thing that's different to the concert flute is that you can bend the notes. So mm-hmm. he's got an incredible, what, what, what we call in India, mean. Um, so it's actually when you're bending the notes and moving them around um, and, and having these kind of, all the, t- all the tonality between notes, um, you know, can can kind of be played with, and um, and so as a result, there's a really fluid, uh, beautiful, graceful uh, way in which he works. And and Nikki Wells also can do that. I mean, she's um, she spent time in India. She um, she uh, was in a place called Dharamshala where she studied um, a lot of. Uh, singing techniques and so on and um and she's very versatile i haven't worked with her for quite a while um because she's doing her own stuff now she's she's got her own uh album i think she's got a new album coming out soon but she's um yeah i mean but but now the um the singers i'm working with at the moment there's um shapla salik who's an incredible singer um that i've been touring with and eva who's fantastic um ashwin plays with us so yeah it's it's I'm very blessed with amazing, amazing musicians. I hope you don't mind, this might be a bit of a tangent, but I was just thinking, because there is that thing of, of the bending of notes and microtones is very, very priced mm. into Indian music. Yeah. And I was just thinking, do, do you think there's a kind of link between that and the blues? Exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> that's, that's what well, to me. Uh, well, that's why we're the rock on top. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing, <laughs> well, actually, it's very interesting, all of that, because um, there's a, there is a certain rock. So the way in which Indian classical music works is it's, div- well, there's lots of, lots of rules around it but um with the with the rag system it's kind of, which is kind of like a, a more complex way of thinking about modality for example you you have um you have uh ways of um of thinking about the 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 scales in in descending and ascending ways which are a bit like a melodic minor in a way right. if you simplify it um in that you have uh, the the scale is different ascending and descending but also you have a lot of rules in in terms of what you can play next um when you are playing around with the rag now rag me in itself means color and it's kind of it's based around moods and different times of day and the seasons um so you have 72 kind of main uh, rags in hindustani music which is north 72? indian classical yeah um but also <laughs> but they come from 10 thoughts which are again like uh, like the modes the main kind of um uh, basis so so there's lots of ways but then also you have the dal system which is a very complex system of time signatures so you have uh, you know w- 
common time signatures in Indian classical music are like 10 beat cycles, which is known as Japtal, or you'll have uh, Ektal, which is 12 beat cycles, as well as um, 16 beat cycles, Stintal. So you have, you have a lot of these, and, and they're very mathematical the way in, they, in which they work. So there is a lot to it. Um, but when, when you were talking about the blues, I mean, there is a particular rag called Rag Malkons, which actually is a pentatonic um, scale, which actually has a lot of similarity if you listen to it to the blues, in the same way that if you listen to Rag Kirvan which is like a harmonic minor you can kind of hear it sometimes sounds a bit like bark when people are playing it because of that kind of uh, flavor so it's it's interesting all these different ways when you focus on certain uh, certain notes within um, within a rag then certain flavors come out but that 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 connection with the blues if you like with the bending of notes it, it offers up a yearning into instrumental music that really feels like a connection with desire and need that that blues has that those bending of notes in indian music has that even in in some eastern european music which which can often come out in i know you've got this fantastic violinist that you play with anna, anna phoebe that 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 oh yeah god yeah that that jewish kletzma style of, of bending as well there is a connection with that that classical music and the english classical british classical music and european classical music doesn't contain yeah absolutely i mean it's it's fascinating with all of that because with um with the uh with the bending of notes i mean you're right i mean it's you 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 hear this in lots of different cultures and um celtic uh music has that as well um but it's kind of it's a different flavor i mean with uh with middle eastern music for example the way in which the notes bend is different and even within classical music what is known as glissando or portamento uh, within classical uh, music is actually quite different in terms of how you play that bend so for example when i was working at the um uh, BBC Proms years ago I brought in some string players from India uh, Carnatic uh, violinists to show that Indian string yeah. swoop thing is amazing yeah, yeah. to it's show such, them such how to sound. how to move uh, it, how to play a glissando in a more Indian accent almost so it's kind of so so it kind of it does differ but I mean I think I think it's um, it, you know it's it's fascinating because you're right when you say that Gary when you, you talk about the idea of of a yearning quality um there's this idea within in the Indian uh, rag system of of always kind of yearning not only for the for the sa. When I say sa, you have sarigamapada nisa, which are the actual uh, the the degrees of do the re, scale. So do like mi. yeah, do re mi fa so la ti do. So it's kind of the same thing. But if you if you take that, um, you, you know you you have the kind of you you always have this yearning to get to the root in the in the same way as you do if you're moving around in jazz and you're moving between you know two five ones you know you always have all, mm-hmm. all cadences i mean there there's always this idea of uh trying to get back to the uh to the to the sum uh, uh, sorry to the um sar but also mathematically as well with doubler players they're always trying to get to the one to the first beat of the cycle so there's a yearning quality there as well so for example you'll have this uh you'll you'll have if i clap it out for you now if you have a 10 beat cycle which is known as Japdal so you have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 so if you have that going on you, you can have mathematical patterns like you, uh, which will repeat three times landing on the 1 so so 
So you're hitting the one there on the test. So that's the 11th beat or the, or the first beat of the falling cycle. You know what, I you just know. wanted to jump in here because the connection is, is, is I think, is, is useful in that you're, you're talking about that kind of music wanting to always yearn to get to the exactly. root or to home, exactly. right? Yes, or and to the one, yeah, you, to the but, first beat. But you're, yeah. I see a segue here. But there is, because your, you know, fascination, obviously, with, with and your new album, um, Immigrants, you know, with travel, with not being at home, with, with maybe that yearning. Is, is there a connection there that you can make musically? Definitely. I mean, and in fact, I, I think I made that connection most on a track called Homelands. And I talk about that oh, track. Okay. I mean, that was on an album I did a long time ago, um, back in the 90s, late 90s, called Beyond Skin. Beyond and, Skin yeah. um, and on that, uh, there is a, and in fact, we performed it at the Royal Albert Hall, um, you know, many times, but it's, um, but my favourite time, I think, or my last two performances there were, were my favourite, um, where we actually had a choir. Amazing. Uh, the, yeah, and it's also string, string uh, yeah. yeah, and um, but what's what's really lovely about that is that I I kind of brought in lots of different flavors. Like I'm a flamenco guitarist, so I brought in some flamenco um, kind of flavors and also Brazilian flavors in Portuguese, and also there are Cavalli flavors. Stuff you know. again has that almost Bulgarian Eastern European feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I love that as well. I, yeah. I think that's amazing. And uh, God, I, I love the way in which they move around notes. You know, when yeah. they're when they're singing this this idea of constantly moving around the root or the or the harmonies, so it's never quite settled. I love that because it gives this quality of impermanence and this this feeling of. Um, of being uh, constantly up in the air and and having an expectation so it kind of it makes you so much more interested there's a lot more uh, texture to the music f for me when when things aren't so clean and so kind of like okay here is the here's the final chord before you've actually had time to kind of um, have a sense of um, playing with it I guess uh, there's a great old quote from Yusun Dor which I think mm. applies to you um, and this was back in the 80s. I remember him saying this. It always stuck with me. He said, modern music doesn't have roots. It has aerials. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's very... I like that a lot. I mean, yeah. it's, it's... Well, I mean, it's interesting in a way because I always think about... Um, I mean, I ne I'd never try to bring things together because what, what I think of is... Uh, I think that you have... Music for me is like a, a, a you have a palette um, and you, you're trying to paint emotional pictures in a way through sound. And, and so it's kind of like in a way I look at the whole world as my palette, you know, musically. And then and then tr but I, d I don't try to contrive. I mean, I, that would be to focus on the form as opposed to what you want to say. So I kind of think, what is it you have to say in the first place? What's the idea? What is it you want to get across? And then you find the musical palette to go with that. And then you kind of, and then it just emerges, you know, it's um, uh, because I, I believe in that idea as well. It's interesting what you were saying, because John Coltrane talked about the idea that improvisation is like a bird that you catch in the air. And there's, you know, there's other people like Pandit Ji Ravi Shankar who talked about the idea of being a medium to channel the music that is, that is all around us. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of discovery and uncovering music that is actually already there. I mean, Gary, when you solo, you know, you're not, you're not thinking about every note. Um, you know, when I've seen you play some beautiful guitar solos and, and 
and you know you're you're actually playing in such a way that you are connecting you're communing with something you know and and i do believe that when i play when you improvise and, and you know both of you i mean it's mm-hmm. it's a it, you know as musicians that there is something that is also taking over um because you're not you're not in your head anymore you're in a feeling yeah. and that where's that feeling coming from it's coming from you but you're also like you said like an aerial and you pick up everything you're picking up channels of of possibility you you the whole of western music has has been driven by immigration you know if you think about the broadway musical that yeah. sound of those chord sequences and you know that that's an eastern european music we're talking about blues and rock music we're talking about slavery and african immigration and uh, it's it's not something that oh you know peter gabriel invented this idea or Edo invented this <laughs> idea you know, this is this has been the root of all popular music this co-joining yeah i mean for example i mean you know uh, like in terms of blues i mean what was fantastic was when you had someone like ali farkaturi getting together with rai kuda um, oh, yeah 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 and amazing. and it's like you know i love that because ali farkaturi you know it's like hearing malian players or beseku koyati who's an incredible ngoni player who came here here years ago and we had a great jam and um you know or, or um, playing with umu singare a lot of those malian musicians you hear that blues which is uh in their in their playing it's just intrinsic to the way they are and and, and it fascinates me because you know blues and jazz and so on they've they've gone through the american revolution and you know in terms of and i mean musical revolution you know in terms of how um music has kind of really uh you know gone through so many changes and transitions in america i mean the the jazz scene in america has been incredible and you know but but you kind of look at those uh those roots and they are from many different cultures they're from many different traditions and and i think it's very important to keep that perspective because we can kind of just get locked into associating music with nationality in the same way that sometimes we do that with politics and with everything else yeah, well, when I met you uh, on the the day we did Hey Hey Rise Up, I remember mm-hmm. one of the first things I said was I was, I I just I'd recently just heard your Desert Island discs, and I thanked you for reminding me of Shakti. Oh yeah, instance, oh my god, which I'd forgotten, you know, John McLaughlin, which was the, yeah, 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 John McLaughlin, but it was a fusion yeah. of you know like sort of jazz, fu- a music that was already fusion then being fused with Indian music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that band as well, I mean, you know, with uh, Zakir Hussain, who's, uh, who's mm-hmm. just an incredible, legendary double player, but also um, El Shankar on, on uh, violin, Carnatic violin, but, um, you know, Viku on Claypot. I mean, incredible musicians. But what was what was well, one of my greatest privileges and probably one of my most humbling moments was actually being on stage earlier this year with John McLaughlin when I was uh, working with Anushka Shankar. And um, we played a gig at uh, at the Royal Festival Hall, yeah, at the Royal Festival Hall, mm-hmm. and um, and that was uh, that was really really enjoyable. But I what mean, to you meet play? him, what did you, you play? know. I played I play guitar and I, I played, I play, yeah, I had it, I kind of like was hiding, no. It was, um, but, but yeah, I mean, you got, yeah, you got someone like him. If I was on a stage with John McLaughlin, I'd yeah. head for the piano. <laughs> yeah, I know, I was like, yeah, well, I wasn't, I wasn't, that was the thing. I was thinking, I, I presume I'm playing the piano. And they said, no, no, we're not using a, a grand piano there. I was like, oh, no. You mean I've actually got to play guitar with John McLaughlin there? It's like, but he was actually very complimentary about it. There was a piece that we played of mine called River Pulse, which I played, and he came up to 
to me he said that's a really lovely piece of music I was like oh my god I just got complimented like a bunch of but it's like um, how do you yeah. feel between the instruments by the way between you know is, is one of them your home the piano or the guitar or you know what my my home is is more in terms of feelings and thoughts and, and then music just comes from that so so I kind of think that sounds a bit Tools. pretentious in a way but I mean it's kind of but I I think for me um, you know I was, I was a classical pianist first from the age of five and, and that's what I trained in and but I then got into flamenco and I used to play in the Van Halen covers band which is quite fun <laughs> when I was younger and so I used to play all the all the tapping and do all wow. that oh, oh so, I was going to say so yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you can you can shred. oh I could do all that yeah I could shred I could still play eruption actually I did I did that a few years ago in, in this studio I, I could show you but um, no it's kind of um, so I you know it's, it, it makes me laugh because uh, all of that you know I used to do um, quite young I used to kind of you know I, uh, but but it was kind of like I had that time and I'd also play um, I'd try and play along with uh, Aldi Miller and Paco and uh, and John McLaughlin I'd try and play a lot of those things but I mean uh, but John McLaughlin's power and speed and it, and inspiration with his with his playing was just insane so but it, but you know, incredible. But this, incredible this, player. this, your, your skills uh, of flamenco and your skills on the piano. I mean, is this something you're constantly practicing, studying? Did you start? <laughs> Not as... enough anymore. <laughs> but did you? Are you yeah. Is it all self-taught? No, no, no. I, was, I studied. I did the grades when I was very young. And, say, uh, you, yeah. you did the grades. You started, and mm. Was that a love of classical music or just? Oh yeah, yeah. Totally, not? totally loved it. Yeah. Uh, particularly also, the yeah. French. The French. I mean, the French Romantics. More, more. Um, right. Debussy, Ravel, Sarti. They were the people who really moved me. But then for the pyrotechnics and the and the kind. Of, yeah, you know, I used to play Fantasy Impromptu and, and Chopin and all of that. And then Third Movement and Moonlight Sonata. These are the kind of things that that get your hands moving. And and also I used well, to. It's the eruption of classical music well there you go but but um but also um also playing bark two part inventions and all of that stuff you know when i was very young but yeah i mean yeah i, lo- I love all of that um but i but i i guess you know guitar i became totally fanatical about it and um and uh, you know as you know gary when you when you play lead guitar you check out every lead guitarist going you're always listening to to lead guitarists and just thinking oh, how, what are they doing there how are they doing that and listening for different techniques and and it's a you know it's you, you kind of totally fall in love with the instrument because of the things that you can do you know playing flamenco you use every aspect of the guitar you're whacking it with your fingers you have all the you know, you, you you have all the different ways of playing um you know getting rolls with your hands and getting um uh, and getting all kinds of techniques together which are which are you know strumming techniques with your fingers all of that is kind of part of really enjoying, um, you know, the whole instrument as opposed to just being yeah. locked into one How thing. How did you? Because yeah, you seem you seem to have a Brazilian thing going on as well as the flamenco. Well, it's because I, I think I, I love Brazilian, you know, I loved Bossa Nova yeah. when I was young, you know, like the, you know, the, uh, you know, um, uh, Tony Jabim, you know, all of that stuff. I, I loved it because, I, I, again, it's beautiful guitar chords and really lovely techniques, which are which really work well with, um, you know, the the way in which, um, uh, you know, the Bossa Nova singers, you know, I, I love all that production. It's it's gorgeous. How, you know, did, you, very how did you learn these stuff. as a kid? Were you doing piano lessons and flamenco lessons at the same time 
Yeah, at one point I was doing that. But I, I think, you know, at the same time, my dad had an incredibly eclectic, um, you know, kind of record collection. My brothers were listening to Zeppelin and The Doors and all of that stuff and Pink Floyd, obviously. Um, but all, I was also kind of, um, you know, listening to a lot of Cuban music through my dad, who listened also to all the crooners. He was into uh, Nat King Cole. So I'd listened to Nat King Cole Trio and all of that, which which always blew me away with, the, I think, one of the most underrated pianists of all time uh, Nat King Cole absolutely uh, brilliant um, wow. pianist and you know but there's an, uh, there was an interview you did um, well, about where you talked about this like an encounter with racism but it, for me there's also an interesting point about the music you said how a music teacher came in uh, to a remote school and you were playing a piece of Indian classical music and he said where's the music where's, where's the, the sheep music, music? yeah there isn't any. Yeah. so he said yeah. that, well that doesn't count yeah so, no. <laughs> which, it, so you can't play that in here which is a an awful awful yeah thing, so. yeah in terms of racism but I'm also fascinated by the fact that you're saying that Indian classical music is there no notation at all well originally it was an oral tradition but yes it is notated now you know there there is but I mean there's no native Indian notation for it yeah yeah there is yeah yeah there's yeah yeah like what you've been describing earlier it's so complicated oh yeah I mean there is I mean it's like with what I was talking about with Sarigamapad the Nisad that's called those are called Sargums you write them down and you'll have different ways of um, notating whether it's sharp or flat or um, on the note and then the duration of the note there there are different ways of doing it it looks like Pittman's shorthand if you look at it but it's kind of um, but it is really uh, it's a really beautiful way of notating but really it comes from an oral uh, thing and it's the same with the um the tabla techniques you know for example what i was speaking earlier is is one um particular you know way of thinking about um about a pattern within a cycle um but that can be used in any classical dance as well as in class so there is a great communication not only between musicians but also between forms um like for example a kathak dancer which is an indian classical uh dancer north indian classical they'll be able to communicate uh, very clearly with the tabla player with the percussionist what what they're what they're thinking what their footwork is going to do um and and that's kind of a forerunner to the the connection between Flamenco guitarists and, and flamenco dancers as well. Because they, they, they have their teacher there, don't they? Sort of yeah. shouting and egging them on. And, yeah, absolutely. This is why, yeah, obviously, so. you've you've been able to approach writing music for ballet, I guess, and for for, for other dance forms. Yeah, I mean, I well, I mean, it's interesting all of that because with uh, Stravinsky, with Rite of Spring, um, he he had very complex. Uh, time signature kind of uh, or he was played with time in in very interesting ways um, or his own way and uh, well, it's famous and, uh, he got, ballet isn't it I mean it's, that's it's right and he got very angry he got very angry with the ballet dancers because he didn't think they were getting quite right and Ajinsky. you wouldn't have yeah yeah that's right yeah you wouldn't have the you wouldn't have that same issue with the Kathak dancers with the double blades because they're equally informed ah. and so that's what I mean so they ah. will understand each other's language and that's that's a kind of different type of thing but yeah I love working with the uh, ballet and um and uh classical I mean I worked a lot with contemporary dance mainly with um with Akram but I'm actually uh, about to work with a with a ballet dancer who's actually from India trained in ballet um but he's bringing in his own kind of heritage and he's uh, he's the son of a rickshaw driver and he's um, but he's been training um with with ballet for many years and he's uh, i think Sadler's wells are going to kind of be doing some work with him as well what about electronica because that obviously came into your life there was a sort of you know i guess in the 90s there was what you know gets called the sort of asian underground scene mm, but, mm. you know 
as though it was a separate entity. Was it? What, just, just what role were you in that? So I, I kind of always, there were, there, I had a, a kind of, um, I had a mixed relationship with it, you know, love-hate relationship in a way, because, I mean, when that term came out, I mean, I always said, you can't really reduce cultural change to a fad or a fashion. I mean, this is about, this is about change in terms of how we look at society and look at um, embracing diversity and pluralism, you know. So when, when you have... Um, you know, these terms, I kind of found it like, well, Asian underground, what is that? Actually, it's about a lot of young Asian uh, musicians and artists trying to be heard and, and you know, trying to get, and, and they shouldn't really be underground. They should well, that's be, the issue, isn't you know, it? Because yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, that in itself said, right, you're not in the norm. Yeah, yeah. Well, wasn't there a thing that you said you'd, you'd call up record companies and they just hear your name and they go we're not signing any bangra yeah 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 exactly that and then that's that did happen yeah and i, I was like yeah. oh my god you know but it's kind of my my whole thing is that um you know that that time was a really interesting time in a way it was kind of almost like a renaissance of uh, a young asian artists in in the uk and i think there was a lot of amazing club music that came out of that i mean we used to i used to dj as well and i used to dj um at fabric and uh, i dj'd in the 90s more at um at Ormond's and uh, and the end and places like that and the the face used to come down lot, lots of um, you know it became very fashionable to to kind of come down Goldie used to come down Bjork came down you know a lot of a lot of interesting cool people used to turn up at these clubs and we'd play a lot of music that featured uh, Indian classical music and blended it with electronica and when I say that we were kind of you know bringing drum and bass influences mainly um, but also kind of like different types of but electronic flavours. So were you flavors. making this music though? Yeah, that yeah, that yeah. Into play, right? Yeah, so I, I got into programming in a big way. I mean back then initially um, I didn't really work with a computer. I was working with uh, with keyboards more that you could program and then l hook them up to um, to samplers like the you know the Akai sampler or you took oh, them God, up not to the Akai. yeah I know no, this was the thing. I get so, terrible. I get this, like <laughs> PTSD flashbacks from remembering programming those. That's right. And people were using the Atari kind of C. You, you, you know you'd get C Lab and C -Lab, Creator yeah. and Notator, all that stuff. So so but what happened Cubase? But what happened was over time everything started to evolve, and then I got into using Logic and stuff like that more, and um, and then using Analog gear in different ways so it's kind of yeah i've always been programming for a long time and i love doing that and actually producing jules holland's album recently um i found myself kind of you know because we were coming out of lockdown or we were still in lockdown um i was using certain techniques at times in terms of programming to to bridge the gaps where we couldn't get live players um you know to to make it feel organic and there are ways of doing that this is interesting so he's, he's not in a room with a big band for jules it's not Oh yeah, yeah, it, it is, it, it is. is. Yeah, but yeah. but what I'm saying is, that at times it was difficult yeah. to get everyone back in again or whatever. It, it got quite tricky. But having said that, you know, it's uh, it came out really but well. When, and when it someone worked. like Jules rings you up and says, "I'd really like you to produce my album," are you thinking, "Oh, I he wants me to bring certain, let's just say, Asian styles and things and eclectic things to the table," or, or, or are, you, are you you're you're more more flexible than that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I, I mean, for example, I wrote, um, I wrote Lang Lang's part for him to duet with, you know, because, it, you know, because I have a classical background more, um, you know, then he'd written one part. And I said, well, I can, I can 
write that up for you and and you know we can send it to lang lang as a part so i kind of wrote that up and uh and i mean i worked a lot with classical musicians like helene grimo who's oh, uh, who beautiful. plays with daniel oh. barenboim yeah so i've i've worked um i produced a couple of her albums and um worked with her and she covered one of my tracks amazingly but i obviously had to write that up in a way that i knew would work with her technique because i because I'm a classical player, I, I, I kind of um, wrote it up in a way that was going to work, you know. Water. Is that a nice thing for you to do, to, 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 yeah. dis- to make yourself disappear? In, do you know what I mean? Rather than, it, rather than you making the statement. Is it a nice thing to vanish and just have... Yeah, definitely. I, I, like, I like that. I mean, you know, I'm not really... Uh, I mean, having said that, I'm about to do... I I've, I've do one-man shows every now and then, and I used to do comedy with Sanjeev Bhaskar. I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. <laughs> OK, can, I just, can, I, can you just give me yeah, two minutes? Because I, I, yeah. I had breakfast, and I just need a sure. wee. <laughs> go for it. Go All right, for well, it. No, I'll start the comedy, because um, I'm very, because there's such a link between these... I find it so fascinating you started as a comedian, because I do comedy. I've done a one-man show for about 15 years, mm. yeah. and I was always All really right. embraced by that community, because most of them, are, they either love music or were musicians. Yeah, you know, or, I think so. Yeah, I mean, like or Sanchez. Want, or wanted to be musicians. Yeah, Sanchez is a musician, you know, as well. And, it, you know, he's great. I mean, I, I didn't start, as a, obviously, as a comedian, yeah. but, but no, I did no, comedy. No, but, but you, but you, but you, you the, the first sort of commercial uh, professional venture you did was with Sanjeev, wasn't no, it? No, no, no. I, I, okay, right. um, I had um, already released albums and stuff. I've researched all yeah. I can. I've researched all <laughs> I can. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But what it was, was we went to college together and we used to, we used to kind of do um, review shows. Was this in like Liverpool? No, so so I, I studied law at Liverpool University, Liverpool, but yeah. then um, then I I uh, for my sins I, I uh, studied accountancy. I qualified as an accountant of all things, and I that's where I met Sanj because he was doing business studies. But he's he's always been a really good mate, and we just did that. Uh, literally for me, it was just having a laugh with some friends, and and I didn't realise it was going to get so big. It just kind of it's been it's been weird that way you know i kind of um like you know my best mate at school was uh, james taylor from james taylor quartet oh, and wow. um and so we we used to kind of hang out together and then you know next thing i'm kind of playing with him and we used to tour together and so I, so I've, I've been really blessed with lots of people i've known over the years who have actually gone to to be really successful musicians or artists or whatever and i've known them you know before all of that kicked off which is which is really nice because uh it's kind of i've seen them through that you know progress mm. through that success which has been great i know what you mean i mean uh, just a few weeks ago we had youth on the show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who he's I, great. Who I literally started playing music with at school. Oh really? Oh wow. Yeah. So that was, you know. Oh, he's brilliant. I love youth. I mean, he's a really nice guy as well, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's great. Yeah. I mean, he's um, incredibly. Uh, I mean, like I, I actually did, he asked me to DJ years ago at his house party, uh, which when when I put oh, out Beyond Skin. Yeah, yeah. So Brixton, yeah. yeah, so I I was there in the back garden, and he had some people coming around talking about um, all kinds of stuff to do with the. Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, this book that had come out at the time, and um, and it was um, I think it was around the time that he was doing stuff with the Verve, and um, and I kind of he said I want you to DJ, but I just want you to play your album Beyond Skin. I said you want me to DJ my my own album for the whole of the time. He said yeah. I said I might look a bit narcissistic if I do that, and he said no no I, that's what I want you to do. I went. Right, I'd say, so all these people come up and say, what's this then? I'd say, yeah, this is me as well. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. 
So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Rock on Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly bacteria, antioxidants and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals, you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare. AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. Trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the rock on tours. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. That's drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. Beyond Skin, obviously, 1999, you know, that came out. You'd already done a few albums before then, but that yeah, really yeah, changed right. your life, that album. I mean, suddenly I would imagine your parents went, thank God, he's making yeah. some money. He's getting some recognition. <laughs> I mean, just talk about that life-changing experience because everyone knew that album. Yeah. It's it's so weird to me because it was the most personal thing I'd ever done and I took two years over it. I mean I um but I didn't know what it was in a way. I kind of thought, well I'm it was it was kind of playing around with issues of identity, nationality, race, all kinds of things. But I was kind of I I was well, doing nuclear weapons. Yeah. Well, well, the, the whole thing about that, and I, I, I remember going on Hard Talk and, and talking about this, was, um, I mean, first of all, I mean, the, the whole thing about it was me using news news uh, footage or news clips as well as um, recording my mum and dad. So it was almost like I was making a collage or a kind of personal album, you know, a kind of personal um, e- expression that was, and in some ways, I didn't really care what people thought about it. I just needed to make it. And um, and so my mum and dad are on there talking, and but also there's it starts off with the Indian Prime Minister Vajpayee of that time mm-hmm. talking very proudly about how he tested three nuclear brom- bombs in the Pokhram Range in India, and um, and then I bookended that with Oppenheimer, who was obviously the in charge of the Manhattan Project with the nuclear testing, 
and he condemns his own creation in the name of Hinduism. And there you've got the Hindu fundamentalist prime minister of that time saying, isn't it great we got nuclear bombs? And then you've got oh, a guy I think condemning what you've it. Said, what you've said could be misconstrued. He didn't do it in the name of Hinduism. He did it using a quote from the Bhagavad Gita, isn't it? Isn't that... No, no, what, what, no, no, but no, no, what, what it was was that what I'm saying is that Vajpayee was actually the Hindu fundamentalist leader. So oh, yeah, he was, no, so, so what I'm saying I is meant, that. I just meant your wording. No, no, the condemnation was from Oppenheimer in the name of Hinduism. No, I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he wasn't condemning it in the name of Hinduism. He was Oppenheimer did. Quote. Yeah. Uh, no, Oppenheimer he, did. In, in the quote from the Bhagavad Yes, it was from the Bhagavad Gita. So yeah. what he said was, he said, I feel like I'm, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah, not in the name of Hinduism. That's correct. But what he did was he, said um i feel like i'm become uh, like vishnu the uh, the, cre- destroyer the destroyer of worlds. of worlds and but what was interesting about that is that he's quoting the bhagavad gita but in a very emotional way and condemning it is what i'm saying but he's using yeah. hinduism, hinduism to exactly. to do that so yeah you're absolutely right I, I not in the name of but what i liked about all of that was there was it kind of exposed for me the fact that identity wouldn't isn't necessarily synonymous with nationality or religion because there you've got an American scientist who's talking about Hinduism to condemn his own creation of nuclear bomb of the nuclear bomb and then you've got uh, Vajpayee who's supposedly the Hindu fundamentalist guy who's actually saying here I am very proud of it and I kind of thought that was an interesting contradiction or paradox and I, I liked that because within I mean you you know you know we, we all know obviously Pink Floyd um, and you know I, I loved the fact and, and I was huge influenced by the way in which they would they would you know those concept albums I, I loved all of that that for me when when you had a great concept I mean for me it was just about connecting with narrative and stories and ideas you know and and you know I mean lyric lyrically I mean I always found found it um amazing to create journeys and to and to to find um different uh ways of expressing ideas and really what I wanted to do was create a musical um, narrative or, or kind of fit sense of journey uh, through an album, really. Did, did those ideas f- inform the music from the start? Did they come first and then you sat down and consciously wrote every single chapter of that idea? Pretty much. I mean, yeah, because what I wanted to do was I, I, I had in my head this idea of, of trying to express certain things so I did divide it up into sections you know like I talked about um the album in relation to um uh into in, in relation to separation themes and certain there were certain themes that that emerge in certain sections of the album um and then and and a sense of longing and then a sense of unity and then a sense of belonging as well and acceptance as well so there were lots of different themes in there that I was kind of playing with that I wanted to explore and um and I find that for me is the best way because otherwise, with the way I think, I, I can go a lot of different directions musically and there's nothing to anchor things on. So I like to I like to find, you know, like Massive Attack were a huge influence that way. You know, if I listen to albums like Protection or Mezzanine, there's an incredible mood and power and atmosphere through the whole thing, which is difficult to put your finger on, but it's very strong. But I can't I can't say that those songs are connected in any way musically necessarily. They're, they're quite diverse. There is a sort of certain amount of, of, of didactic quality to, say, an album like Immigrants that's just come out, where you're trying to inform your listener i feel uh in a good way about the about the about the issues that are on your mind 
the slight difficulty nowadays is because books don't come with uh, streaming doesn't come with lyrics and often you use multiple languages and different languages and on your on your music how, how is does that shroud too much the, the ideas that you're trying to get across so what I what I try to do actually is stay away from being didactic in one way in that I don't try to tell anyone what to think. I, I I try to be cathartic with the music. So if I'm working with certain artists, we'll kind of talk thematically about what we want to say um, and what we feel passionately about. And then what will emerge might be it might be something that is um, around a subject that we feel passionately about. Um, for example, working with Iona Witter Johnson, who's also on Jules's album as well. Um, you know, we were we were talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, and then this track just came out of all of that. But um, but again, it's kind of her expressing her own experiences and feelings, and we want to keep keep it so it felt personal and emotional and human but i think i think that's the thing it's it's a tricky thing because if you are dealing with universal issues um or if you even live in a politicized context as we do now you know i kind of think almost everything you do is a political statement you know i mean it's like if everything it, is art everything is politics yeah it's my favorite yeah badge ever exactly and i totally think that because yeah. you know everything is so politicized we, we it's polarized the world is is kind of you know it, it's become politicized so everything you say if you ignore that that's a political statement if you kind of engage with it it's you know so so whatever you do so from that point of view i kind of just think well, where do i where do i stand on on certain things where what do i feel about strongly about and and then that's where things come from with a lot of people it might be relationships or love for me it's actually about uh, it's about how i communicate or how i feel with the world and is it because it is a thing that always runs through a lot of your work is it you know growing up as the child the child of immigrants is 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 it a feel of always trying to find what is your actual home you know this being your home and yeah. a sense of otherness or you know i think that that's something i realized over time because it's like I don't think I realised that that was what I was struggling with until I got to Beyond Skin, really. Because that was, you know, for me, and and the fact that I just intuitively wanted to interview my parents about their experiences and so on and put that on an album, I just didn't question, I didn't have any reference for any anyone who'd done that before. It was just something I really wanted to do to connect it with my music. And, and it's kind of like, it is a sense of always trying to think about where is your home, because ultimately... You know, I believe that your home is is you know to be cliched. It's where your heart is, but it's kind of like ultimately where you feel most passionate, where you feel most connected, where you feel most empathic. Um, you know, and and I think that can be anywhere. You know, I feel now. I think as an older person, as we get older, I think we more we relax into ourselves and our identity more over time. And I think it's possible to feel at home anywhere. I mean, when you're on tour, you know, guys. I mean, it's like you know when you're traveling around you know everywhere becomes your home you know but you have to you have to be relaxed in yourself for that to be the case because i mean otherwise you can feel really insecure in in with inf unfamiliarity and i think it's about being secure in every situation and that's an internal work that you have to do on yourself i think what i think our listeners would also like to know is all the famous people you've worked with and who you've met <laughs> i mean guy know, I, 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 love, <laughs> I mean we, we're gonna have to talk about paul mccartney we're gonna have to talk about you meeting nelson mandela because 
I'm sure your parents weren't thinking, well, we really want him to have a career in, in, in pop music. You end up meeting Nelson Mandela on this journey, not long after Beyond Skin, I think, isn't it? Yes, right. It was in 2001. And um, I mean, I was very fortunate to uh, to actually meet him in his home, you know, for, to be invited over to his house. And uh, and literally, I mean, I'd, I'd, as I said, um, uh, you know, in many times before, I, I, was, I was literally um, uh, finishing the last page of his book, Long Walk to Freedom. Um, in his garden, which is quite crazy. So, so I just literally I better finish this, this before I meet him. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a bit like that. I was like, oh my god, I need to get to the end. And um, but I did, I, and it was. I think the last, I think the last phrase is, "So we are free to be free." And that that phrase in, ended up on on the track "Breathing Light," which um, which I put on the album. But it was it was more. Um, I wanted to just the the thing about that journey that I went on was more about. Um, engaging with kind of people that I wanted to know more about and understand you know from direct experience so he was one of those people I mean Aboriginal um, you know uh, Aboriginal people um, you know where, where I spent time with them in Arnhem Land those, those were it was amongst them as well that I, I discovered a lot and uh, and then also spending time with Native Americans uh, kids in street shelters in Brazil all kinds of things were it, you was, filming it was amazing this? were you filming uh some of it, yes, yeah, we did film quite a bit of it. But what we, I mean, in a way, it was, and yeah, and obviously it was, it was incredible to meet. Um, but but meeting Nelson Mandela, I mean, I was just blown away by his humility, by his openness, by his humour, by his ability to switch between being very very chilled and funny and and kind of almost like someone you you you'd kind of just meet, you know, anywhere to being this incredible statesman. Um, you know, when 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 I started to interview him, um, and we switched on a recording device, which was a DAT machine, I think at the time, he suddenly changed um, in a in a totally understandable way. And the questions I was asked asking him, he was very formal about that until, and and I've I've talked about this many times, which is one of the most amazing things, was when his um, his PA came into the room and said Madiba, which is what they called him, um, the president's on the phone to speak to you. Um, you know he he wants to talk to you now and uh, and um, Mandela turned around and just said um, how many more questions have you got to me and I said two or three and he just goes uh, could you ask him to call back in ten minutes <laughs> now the thing the thing that blew me away about that I I I kid you not I nearly cried in that moment I'll tell you why is because I read in that book about his speech at Riviona where he said I stand for the struggle of all people not just black South Africans. And I thought, yeah, you know what? This is what politicians say. They say all this stuff about, and it sounds great, you know, I, I, you know, but no one's a real egalitarian. No one really walks the walk of being a true egalitarian. People talk about it, but are they really? That was the moment where I thought, oh my God, the guy actually is, he actually is the real deal. Mm -hmm. This guy I'm looking at right now sees me, I'm choking up as I say it, sees me some you know, arsehole from London, you know, in the same way as he sees a president. He doesn't distinguish. He's just going, I'm talking to this guy now. That's the person I'm talking to. I don't care, you know, for, uh, you know, whoever. It's like that. And that, for me, was what moved me in that moment. And it's kind of, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I literally couldn't get words out for a bit because I was like, wow, I never thought I'd meet anyone like that. You know, and, and somebody who's been through so much. There's no one in my life who I've ever come across who's seen so much of oppression and power in one lifetime. A guy spent 27 years in jail, 19 of which were in solitary confinement, and there he comes out president. 
So you, you look at that and you think, my God, he's been here and he's been here and he's still got that humil humility. And that astonished me. What about Maka? What about what about <laughs> Maka though? Come on, incredible! You know, I love yeah. I love Mandela, but I love Maka too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how was, how was your uh, meeting? Suddenly you're in a well, that boy is in a room with Paul McCartney. Tell us the story. And 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 he's continued to be actually, and I was very privileged to, to have lunch with him very recently. And he stayed he stayed in touch, and we've stayed. You know, he actually sometimes we text each other as well. He's a lovely guy, and but the first time I met him was back in the nineties when. And it's funny because it's connected to youth as well because youth was doing the fireman project. That's the fireman, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, so what happened was McCartney asked me if I would uh, do a remix for the fireman. And um, and so, so I hang on. I, this is your first contact with him. Yeah, he just yeah. got in touch and said, "Would you?" Do he got in touch with my, my with my manager of the right. time. Yeah, then so so um, so then I kind of said sure, and then um, he. But <laughs> having said that, at that time I was working. Uh, in my bedroom in a in a shared flat with Sanji Bhaskar and a few other people they were they were like it was and it was a tiny that I had one room I had a, 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 a tiny kind of bedroom at that time and um, as you know money was not something I was kind of familiar with so so I was kind of in this in this room and um, and he calls me up in the morning literally calls me up and says uh, I'd like to come over and um, and see how you're working I said, is this McCartney so yeah yeah I was saying Sorry, he goes like, I'd like to come over. So, come over where? I said, you said to your to your where you work. Where you? I said, no, I work in my bedroom. He goes, yeah, I'll come over. And I was like, right. So then, so I was like, amazing. So then I kind of go around and I'm telling everyone like, and, and everyone's hoovering manically and kind of we we had like cardboard boxes all over, but it's like we were living like students. I mean, it was a joke. And so we just get a mum right. You need a mum. I needed my mum. I needed my mum. Should have got my mum. But but what happened was then he comes round in the evening. I mean, and and uh, comes up the stairs because um, someone let him in, and um, uh, and he comes up and he walks into my room, and he looks around. He, he, and there are several things that happen at once. The first thing is in my head, I'm thinking, "Wow." I know so much about this guy I've never met before. I know I know about his history. I know and it was he's so familiar, but I've never met him before. And that was the thing that blew me away because I'd never met anyone as famous as that firsthand and known so much about them without ever having engaged with them. So that was the first thing that struck me. The second thing was that he he said the first words were oh I used to live in a in a place a bit like this he said it was a kind of bedsit that I had and he said uh, I wrote a track called Scrambled Eggs there um, I'll play it to you and he and he sat down and played yesterday and sung yesterday on my guitar right so my first in my bedroom so the first thing I've got is like I'm sitting there going okay this is definitely pretty <laughs> it's like I mean, it's like okay that's Paul okay. that's Paul trying to blow your mind isn't it. No, this is proof that we live in a simulation, that this is a simulated reality, because yeah, there's the no way that could happen. It, yeah. yeah, it's like there's no way in any reality that could happen. So, so I'm sitting there going, OK, OK. You know, you've got to pinch yourself several times. But I mean, obviously, that was mind-blowing and, and to actually have my guitar blessed by McCartney's hands. But but also big, but interesting, because, you know, I was watching him because I know he's left-handed, so it's like, so he's, he's playing. But it's... It's beautiful. It's just amazing to watch him play and sing. Um, so I kind of anyway, he was he hung out. We went we went to a local um, 
uh, cafe for a bit, I think, and we, we just got... I mean, it was just amazing. He just hung out for a while mm-hmm. as if he was anyone else. And and that was the thing. I was, again... But that's the thing, you know, yeah. surely Paul McCartney wants to do that, you know? Yeah, yeah, but you know what's time to time. But what's amazing is how good his memory is because you can meet you meet him years later and he remembers everything. I mean, like, I mean, I, I, you know, went to his sadly ill fated wedding with with Heather, and um, you know, it's it's interesting because the way he communicates, he 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 remembers everything of every meeting I've had with him, and he's he, he, you know, I once had. One of the incredible things was actually with uh, David Gilmour with um, at, at uh, McCartney's house, and David Gilmour started playing the saxophone of all things, and I'm oh, playing right. the piano, and Paul McCartney's singing, and I'm kind of thinking, okay, I'm jamming with Pink Floyd and the Beatles here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's a bit of pressure on, um, but it's kind of you know, it's it's amazing because he he'd been to. Um, uh, one of my gigs at the Royal Albert Hall, and he came, uh, and he came there. Actually, it was I think four days after George died, after George Harrison passed away, and he was there at the at the Royal Albert Hall, and it was just an incredible thing that he come that soon after. I thought he would. I was convinced he was going to cancel coming, but he still came, and that's what I mean. He's always been very supportive. He's always been very down to earth. How did just, you write uh, together? You ended up doing a track together, didn't you? My soul. Mm. Well, this is the thing. Um, so, at um, when when I met him at his place, um, he actually started uh, playing around in the wine glass and got got a sound uh, out of the wine, wine glass. I said, "Oh, that's cool." I said, uh, "What you should do on my next album is play the wine glass." I said, "I'd love to just say Macca on wine glass." And he <laughs> said, oh, "I like that idea." So, well, you know so that's how the intro to Shine on Your Crazy Diamond was done. Oh, really? It's wine glasses. Ah, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, I love that. Oh my god, it's one of my favourite tracks ever. That guitar solo. <laughs> anyway, sorry, just, oh my god, that guitar solo was one of my most uh, the biggest influences. Anyway, um, but but yeah, with um, uh, yeah, so he did that. He he, he played, and and he he said, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And I was thinking, is this going to happen? So then he did. He turned up at mine, but obviously not not to play the wine glass he had his bass and and we wrote um a track called my soul together and and recorded that um at my my house then um you know which is where i was living in wandsworth wandsworth common um but again he just hung out for the day um and just was lovely how did you write together though well i just pretend i was john lennon (laughs) but no it was kind of but yeah i mean obviously obviously the thing is you will be writing as I write with anyone else and talk to... I, I just have conversations and then something emerges. But yes, you will have this moment where you just kind of like... Everything slows down and you go, I'm in the same shoes as John Lennon <laughs> or whatever. You know, I'm writing with McCartney. Yeah, you know, so, so you do have this moment where you kind of think, oh, shit. And you can't, you know, you kind of freeze for a bit. You're thinking, this is quite crazy. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, having said that, it kind of, it, it was just, he makes you feel very relaxed and very much like, you know, he'll just talk to you as a human being. And, and that's that's the thing. Great people do that, you know. I mean, David Gilmour does that. Anyone, you know, people that you meet, um, you know, who are, who are um, kind, secure people, um, you know, will talk to you in a way that actually shows empathy uh, and that's what you engage with is the em- empathy mm. i guess rather than anything rather than i mean you know as well you guys know that there are people you will meet who will come to your concerts or whatever 
and you realize they're looking through you at some kind of version of you that they have in their heads because yeah, yeah, they've yeah, always yeah. they've always loved your music or they've always whatever which is which is lovely in one way but they're not really talking to you as the, as the but you know as as the real person who's standing in front of them and at the well, end you're of the sort day of an irrelevance yeah you are as an yeah, irrelevance yeah because yeah. they they've had this relationship with a with a projected version of you that's that they've created in their heads through engaging with your music um which is all good. Which can be bad as well. There can be a there yeah. can be a very you know two dimensional version of you that they, they very much know. yeah it can be terrible. I, I know I know uh, guy you're, you you got deep into the John Hurt album yesterday. Didn't I you? wanted to I wanted to ask you about the last right. days of reason. It's Mean, it's, meaning it's, it's last fantastic. days of meaning. Yeah. yeah, last days of meaning. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> is that, no because it's these fantastically that sort of I don't know if this is Beckettian vignettes. Almost, it's kind of redolent of crap's last. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that because obviously, I, I mean, I loved um, Samuel Beckett, and I was a big fan of the Theatre of the Absurd. Yeah, a huge and, fan of Beckett. Yeah, that, yeah, that, I think yeah. It's one of the things that drew me to it. Yeah. Well, there but, you I go. Mean, also, musically, it's fantastic. But it's, oh, and, thanks. Well, the, you know, tell us about the journey of that. I mean, well, that just, just for anyone who doesn't know it, it's this beautiful album which has between some of the tracks. There's these reflections from John Hurt, who's this character in a room. Yeah, <laughs> weirdly called Donald Meaning, and if you look at the front cover of it, it looks a bit like Donald Trump. <laughs> so it's quite mad. I've no idea why I called him Donald Meaning, but anyway, the thing is that uh, so I can't kind of create this character, and and, and I, I'd seen uh, I'd seen um, John Hurt play uh, play um, the main character crap. in Crap's last yeah crap <laughs> um, in in Crap's last tapes, but um, he was crap in Crap's last tapes. <laughs> yeah, quite, he was indeed. <laughs> So, so I kind of um, so he came here, and um, and I basically got to direct him effectively as as the character, and um, he was he was amazing. He was very very open, and we we kind of set up quite a few microphones around him, and it was like just doing a radio play, um, and. I really like this idea of creating this character. You know, I want to do something a bit different, and um, and again, I I had no uh, agenda in in my head. I just wanted to create something that that, that I was feeling at the time, and um, so I kind of yeah. I mean, the character is kind of a bigoted, intransigent old bastard, really. He's kind of like sitting there, kind of mumbling to himself, and kind of you know sitting in a in in his uh, flat somewhere, just kind of like in he's. You know, he's broken down every relationship, you know, he's ever had with his daughter, with his wife. I kind of created a whole backstory in my head. And all he's got is this tape. It could be from his wife. It could be from daughter. It could be from his girlfriend. It could be, you know, but it's from a woman who wants to who wants to really bring him back to a softer version of himself because he's hardened over the years and she sends him this music and he's kind of listening to it. And, and he softens during the course of the Well, it has got a listening. lovely ending. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was the idea, and I, I guess it was kind of also about the power of music and and about um, about the uh, it was it was also you know before all of this you know there's been I mean I won't go into politics but there's been as we you know have seen over the last few years there's been a swing to the right globally um, that I kind of in a way this felt like a uh, it kind of preceded all of that and I, I kind of was aware that that was happening at the time this, and it's kind of this yeah. uh you know I spoke about it earlier you, you were saying about it your music you don't want your music to be didactic but nevertheless mm. do you feel that in the 20 odd years since Beyond Skin that that culture has shifted in in a way that's more accepting that's more multicultural 
in some senses yes in other senses definitely not i mean you know mm. we if we look at things that have happened in the last few years under this government in relation to immigration and so on um and and perception of refugees and asylum seekers um that's why i was so proud to be uh, <coughs> with with guy and uh, you know with um, nick and uh, you know and and david um on on that track because of what it was saying you know about valuing human beings also, really. I, I think that's yeah. one of the reasons that that you were the first person that sprang to mind for them was because you are such a great representative of all that is good about a sort of universal multicultural world. Oh, that's so. kind. Of I think I'm, so. I think you. really, uh, Nitin, I'm, I'm sort of focusing on art and music. Yeah. In, in yeah, spe sure. Specifically, mm. and and it's and 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 Asian music within our own British culture. Yeah, I think I think things have. Yes, I think there is more of an acceptance of it in one way, but I I think some of the promise of the '90s hasn't been realised. I mean, I don't hear enough Asian DJs on the radio. I don't hear enough Asian music being played on, on the mainstream. What's happened is we have, say, the Asian Network and so on. But for me, I've kind of talked about that um, at times in terms of how it's resourced and so on as um, as a kind of cultural apartheid in a way um, and I kind of get frustrated by that because I would like to hear more Asian artists on mainstream radio and you know I, I remember um, I won't say which award uh, it was but I was talking to some uh, some of the representatives of a particular award and I was saying that, that you know it frustrated me there weren't more Asian acts or um, artists being uh, being kind of nominated and they said well that's just you know we, we just go where the merit is which kind of angered me because I said well when you have endemic kind of issues with racism and when you don't have enough representation you actually need to make an effort to find those people and you know and so we kind of had conversations about that which I, I kind of think went well and I, I do think there is a shift um, in terms of recognition of you know, the fact that there are so many different influences in this country, you know, in, or in the United Kingdom of, of different cultures. And I think that's when music said its best, when we're kind of work. you know, YouTube, for example, is a great leveller. You know, I mean, like people, young people today can actually access music from any part of the world. Mm. And I think, I think, you know, if I want to finesse a bulleria, I'll kind of I'll kind of go to YouTube and find some of the best flamenco players around who, who can actually take you through different ways of playing a bulleria. And you know, and, and that's the case with any kind of type of music you're interested in. So from that point of view, I think it's it's a lot better now because of the internet, because of the fact that we we have access to music from anywhere without having to even get out of our homes you know and from that point of view i think our minds are far more open than they ever have been guy i'd like to finish off with the with with the with with the the story of how you two you both of you ended up as members of pink floyd <laughs> I, I, because because this has been that record was amazing but just just take us through how that all happened what well, guys should I've, talk first? <laughs> well, uh, uh, I've got. I can tell you exactly when I first became aware of it. It was March the twenty third, and that's very easy for me to remember because it was my son's birthday, and I was in Manchester where he's at uni, and I'd gone up to take him out for dinner with some friends, and I got a text from David saying, "Are you around? And do you know where Nick is? I want to do something for Ukraine." Uh, that's the first I heard of it, and then uh, I went round to the house. Um, 
and had dinner a couple of days later and David played me this thing you know he's just from this this guy Elixir who I remember him playing with back in 2015 he'd done it he'd done it it was interesting because he'd been in trouble with the Russian authorities before uh, Boombox had and in fact he didn't play at the show at Coco's that David played at because he had trouble with his visa but it was a load of of uh, Ukrainian and Belarusian bands who'd been in trouble with the Russian authorities so this says so there's been a long-running thing there so that's how David knew him but then he just came across but then it was coincidence he saw that video on YouTube of him singing Hey Hey Rise Up in that town square and Dave, David was desperate something because you know it's all very real to him he's he, he's got his his Ukrainian daughter-in-law and his you know half Ukrainian um, grandchildren living with him at the house all through lockdown so it was very real and very visceral they had a grandmother who was stuck in Ukraine they were trying to get out so it was really in his face and so he had that idea of doing the track and then we need he needed a keyboard player and then I was just told it said we're getting this in Sony and I was like oh my god that's amazing right tell us and your so story we just met on that day so now it's yours knitting <laughs> well actually it's it, I mean for me I, I met um David Gilmore many years ago in Paul McCartney's garden uh, at, a, at a party a long time ago and um, I remember we really got on very well and I had a lovely chat with Polly as well and it was uh, it was it was really nice and I, I again I met him a few times after that um, and he also came to um, a performance I did at the White Cube uh, for one of Anthony Gormley's um, exhibitions as well um, and so we'd always got on well but I hadn't really stayed in touch for quite a long time until Jules Holland's album and he's featured on one of those tracks and um and so i kind of got to work on one of the tracks and we had communication over email um and so paul Lowsby, who manages him and also uh, manages um jules, jules yeah. um yeah a, a lovely guy um and i kind of you know was chatting to him and he was talking about things um to do with pink floyd and then out of the blue david gilmore calls me up and says look do you um do you it was quite funny because um he, the way he put it was uh, he said uh, he kind of I could hear him smiling on the other side he said how do you feel about being an um, um, an official member of the band of Pink Floyd I said well you're such an unsuccessful band I don't know I'd have to think about it <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of but um but yeah no it was um it was lovely that he thought of me I felt really honored and I, I felt very privileged and, and they're you know obviously great musicians and it's it's a very inspiring um you know it's it's surreal though again it's one one of those many surreal moments i've had in my life and obviously uh going going over and uh i i don't think i grasped exactly what was going on until i got there and i was like oh right it's because i thought there was going to be loads of musicians probably playing with pink floyd and i'd be one of many and i was like oh yeah i actually am like it's just us that, that's the <laughs> smallest apart from when we used to do um astronomy domini live right it was just the four of us on stage yeah that was with rick yeah the, the, this is the only time i've ever played with pink floyd as a four piece Amazing. and it's so like it's the first time i've played with david and nick together for since 1990 you know whatever although i've done recording um yeah so yeah so it, i mean let me tell you as someone who's been around for 35 years it was special yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, <laughs> absolutely wonderful, and and actually very easy, and it was a lovely. Yeah. I I thought it was actually a really lovely day, and um, yeah, I th I think um, yeah, I mean, it, it was nice. I remember us looking at each other, kind of going, "Here we do." I can't remember what yeah, it was, yeah. but it was like you know, you were queuing oh, me right. for a yeah, certain yeah. moment. Yeah, because yeah. it was because so, David constructed that song just mm. from a you know a, a free form vocal. 
Yeah, and he had yeah. to retune a lot of it, and it's it's a fantastic chord structure that he came yeah, up with. It's beautiful. I, I yeah. really like it. No, it's very clever, and that was something I was really impressed by. In 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 terms of he he must have tempo mapped everything yeah but then and then had to reverse engineer everything so you'd have to kind of you know get get this get the singing which was just done without anything tuned and also get it to work with um to, to work with uh, a click track yeah. and I, I kind of thought that was fantastic the way he did it yeah because he said what happens what happens with the vocal mm. and because I, I gave the comparison it's exactly the same as when you write on unlined paper mm. you know how you veer down yeah, yeah. Said, that's exactly what happens with with um, <laughs> with um, solo vocals. Is it is is it just gradually tunes down? Yeah, yeah, that, that's your, exactly right. Your involvement <laughs> seemed perfect, really, because here's you know a very Western sounding band mi- mixing music with Eastern European folk yeah. folk music. Um, yeah, yeah, what's what's next for you? There's so much. I just want to ask a really simple question here, because this is you terrify me, Nitin, in that you're your the um, capacity to work in yeah. different forms at multiple times is it makes me feel so inadequate but inspired in totally one i do reading about your journey in the last two days i've become so inspired by you uh in oh. in that you you know what you can achieve and what you shouldn't be frightened of um just talk me through a little bit of how you balance all those projects that are going on in your life well well first of all i've got fantastic teams of people who i work with um you know i've got i've got uh, tina arena who's who's worked as my pa for not the australian singer not the australian singer. she she it was identity theft, theft she just <laughs> nicked her name and uh, literally i mean she she actually met her at sony years ago and just said i like her name and just changed her name to which I found really funny, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and yeah, that's brilliant, isn't it? Um, by the way, I'm David Gilmore now. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, right. But but yeah, yeah um, I'm Mr. T. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, but then also Harry, who you saw earlier on, um, who's who's engineered with me for a number of years. Um, you know, fantastic teams. But all and you know, and obviously live and and so on. You you guys know that there's so many people you work mm. with who who do so much work. Um, but also, I kind of think um, um, she's fantastic. Uh, Tina's fantastic at sorting out time and scheduling. Um, but I, I love the way I work now because I I get to work in so many different ways, and it all cross fertilizes. You know, I'll one moment I'll be working on um, like I'm doing a one man show. Uh, we, actually, I'll have guests on it as well um, uh, at Wigmore Hall um, later this month on the 23rd of July. Oh. Um, we've got you know, and that's a lovely thing to prepare for because that's me just literally talking to an audience, but then playing bits of music in between and so on. Um, and then you know, I'll I'll be you know working at the moment. I'm working on the Nancy Boys, which is um, which is a series for Amazon uh, that Neil Gaiman wrote, um, who did Go- Good oh, Omens right. and so on. It's, it's brilliant, and um, and I'm working on another series as well so i'm constantly doing that and then some film scores that i'm also engaging with so i'm doing all of that but then i've i've got my new album that i'm going to do with sony masterworks that i'm kind of coming up with ideas for at the moment there's there's so many different do you get things yourself but in like, a mess though do you ever get yourself in like oh my god i've got to finish that thing for this producer and it's, it's... you know what it is it's like conversations i mean we're having this conversation now you'll go and have a conversation with someone else and it, 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 you know what we've said to each other won't have any 
you know won't have impacted or slowed you down in terms of the conversation you have about something totally different you know and and so having said that it might inform something you might say because I, I might remember something Gary said or Guy said and I'll think oh yeah actually I remember that and and it's the same kind of thing I think you know it's like if you're working lots of different ways I find for me it's the most pleasing I mean writing for orchestras I absolutely love doing that um, you know and, and conducting the London Symphony Orchestra years ago uh, with a score that I'd written was one of my highlights you know was, was wow. actually to do that for, for me um, you know with, with a one and a half hour piece of music really that I'd scored for Hitchcock's silent movie um, you know yeah. at the oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that that was uh, that for me was uh, a serious challenge because I had to train with some people from the Royal Academy for ages and then I had to in terms of conducting but you know I mean it, but it's brilliant they're all challenges that you, you, you rise to because you're thrown in the deep end and I love that I love being thrown in the deep end really so well, is delegation not a, a key talent here. delegation is definitely a big thing um <laughs> you know you, you need to do that you need to know when to do it and yeah but i mean you know for example with orchestration ennio morricone said he orchestrated his own work because of the fact that he thought his identity was hidden uh, you know some of his identity would be in the way that he orchestrates so i try to do that as well i i orchestrate my own material but then you know when you need to you know if for example you're working on multiple things at a time you might bring in somebody to kind of just you know copyists to kind of help you get things done at a faster rate but you know Morricone Morricone though when he when he did music for for films he, yeah. he his music was inspired by by the amount of cloth that he was allowed to have so yeah. you know yeah, he, if he couldn't much, afford yeah. an orchestra then his inspiration right. would be the small the trouble is nowadays everyone mm. wants the most out because you can get it all on a synthesizer or you can get it all on yeah. samples so do yeah, you try and right. ever restrict yourself as far as you know or inspired by by the budget Exactly all of that. I mean, you're absolutely right. Ennio Morricone, you know, he used avant-garde um, kind of musicians, for example, with the spaghetti westerns, because because he they they wouldn't actually give him the budget for an orchestra. But you know, what was fantastic was it created that in, those incredible scores as a result. Um, but but you know, having said that, you know, I think. Um, I think what I was saying earlier on about creating vocabulary or palettes um, to work with, I mean, you know, it's uh, with certain um, certain TV series or something like that, you might say, actually, we want this to be influenced by tango, <laughs> you know, because it's a flirtatious thing between two people. And so, you know, it'd be great to get some elements of, of that in. And then we'll kind of think about how we do that in a way that's not going to feel too obvious, but it's going to kind of create flavours of that. Or we might, you know, it's... It's kind of like you discuss the vocabulary and then you find and discover the vocabulary and try to figure out how to how to kind of make that work. And and so I think that's a beautiful discovery. I love scoring for film and TV for those reasons because it's always a different vocabulary every time. Yeah. And you're and you are restricting yourself according to the themes and the ideas of what you want to do because it'd be very dull if every single score was just pure orchestra. Because um, it, yeah, I mean, orchestras all sound great, but you know they don't give enough identity to to necessarily the characters. I did the score for a TV series, well, two TV series back in the 90s, and they wanted, and I had this whole idea for it. When I went up for the first meeting, they said, we want salsa, we want Cuban music. Mm. And I found out, I worked out that it was, just through someone I knew, it was actually cheaper to fly to Cuba and use amazing Cuban musicians and do this whole thing legitimately <laughs> right. than it was to use the kind of wedding band players that you right. would find in London. Yeah, And it yeah. was also the most magical thing 
you can ever do yeah so. yeah absolutely i mean i've done that i've done that as well i've gone to yeah. um you know gone over to india or gone over to different places to find um, musicians but sometimes you can find some great um, musicians you know uh, around you in london yeah, there are course. there are brilliant uh, cuban musicians and there is also brilliant musicians from africa and all kinds of places that you can kind of bring in luckily i've got a good network of people who who actually can put me in touch with uh certain people and i also know a lot of great musicians from all over the place thankfully so you know it's uh, it's great and also nowadays you've got bloody zoom as well so you know like for example right. i did i did um uh, the cheltenham jazz festival i mean i did it this year but i also did it uh last year last year we had to do it on zoom because lockdown so i did it with uh, Ashwin Srinivasan in India and just me on the piano and the guitar and um, or it's just on the piano actually with that one and uh, we did the whole thing as a duo um, and uh, isn't there a lag isn't there a lag yeah 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 so what I did was uh, we, we he recorded he recorded himself so when I say zoom it was in the yeah. broadcast mm-hmm. of it in the streaming right, of it right, right, but right. what he did was, so I what was great on the first day of lockdown I learned how you, I taught myself how to use Final Cut and uh, and so that I could do this, so that I could cut together, um, you know, um, sort of different uh, different performances with different musicians. So so that was really handy. And him being in India and uh, and playing uh, Bansuri with me playing in in you know in my house was was really nice. But you know to to do it split screen and do it in real time, as in. What what I did was I sent him the the parts. There were a couple of things which he sent me, and then we, I put that together so that we were working with the click, and then um, and then literally it was very easy to kind of you know um, to look like we're jamming off each other and so on. Nitin, it's, it's been a total pleasure having you on Rock on Tours. Really? Yeah, oh, thank we've, you. We've kept you too long. I hope this conversation you know we can continue privately for for many years to come because it's been oh great definitely would love to, to yeah yeah. Well, really same to you both. To you. Yeah, and it's it's great to it's great to see you both. And yeah, I mean, we we need to all meet up for a drink or something <clears> like that. I feel really inspired and kind of woken up by this. Yeah. Well, that's Thank lovely really from two brilliant musicians like you guys. So that's very nice. <laughs> Thank yeah, you, fantastic. You Thank take you. care. Yeah. All see you later. Cheers, all right, mate. Bye. All the very best to you. Cheers, mate. Oh, what an intelligent, wonderful spirit that man is. Yeah, fantastic. But it's just a, an absolute force for good in the world and the arts. I mean, just, you know, everything he does is great. And I hope we've... And ins- fantastic humility. I love that. I hope, those stories he told. I hope we've inspired people to go off and listen to some of his wonderful music. Yeah, and there's a lot of it. And it's great. It's really, really rewarding. And it'll take you to all sorts of other places as well, you know, because there's all the people he collaborates with. Absolutely. All right, guy. Be uh, we have got one more before uh, rock tours to record before we uh, we finally hit the shores of Blighty. Have, yep, and then and maybe have a little bit of a holiday. Yes, I think so. So um, all the best. Thank you for listening. It's good night from me, and it's good night from them. Mm-hmm.